Good morning, City Light. What's up? My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we're going to continue in the book of John. So if you've got your Bibles, open up John 15, chapters, uh, or verses 1 through 17 is where we're going to be at this morning. And as you get your Bibles open, let me start with a story. Um, uh, 15 years ago, I was a brand new Christian uh, at the Wayne State College. Maybe you guys have heard me talk about the Wildcats, uh, Harvard of the Midwest. Maybe you guys have heard some th- publications about the quality of education that is there. Um, but uh, was at Wayne, had just met Jesus. And how many of you guys know if you meet Jesus kind of later in life, everything feels backwards and everything you feel like you have to relearn, okay? Um, Everything kind of gets reshaped by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so one of the areas that I was really clueless is this idea of dating and Christian relationships and and who do I look for? And if I want to have a godly marriage, like what am I supposed to even look for in a future spouse? And so uh, really at this point in my um, uh, my paradigm, my baseline was like, if uh, a girl that I meet uh, has another man's name tattooed, like uh, my boo Bubba, probably not the one for me, right? That's probably not going to be the one that I pursue. I'm just going to leave that one. The Lord is going to go ahead and do something different with that one. So um, I needed to ask for some help. And so some friends sat me down and said, why don't you read chapter 31 of Proverbs? You know, there's this picture of a godly woman and all these characteristics are listened, listed. And so why don't you read that? And that will help you figure out what you need to look for in a future spouse. So I read it and it says that uh, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who uh, fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay. And that is true. That is a good thing. Um, kind of God is saying there's kind of two things here. There's beauty and there's a godly character and one is more valuable than the other. And so um, beauty is obviously going to um, fade. Uh, character is forever. And so uh, choose wisely is basically what he's saying. Um, now I was 18, 19 years old at the time, less sanctified. And basically I kind of was like, Lord, I get that. Uh, this kind of feels like an either or equation. Like I got to choose Christian or cute. And I'm just wondering if it's in your grace that I could choose both. Like, could I just have a both and? Could we turn this into a both and? Like beauty is good and so is godly character. Could that, that's probably how I would have wrote the verse, okay? Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, that is not okay to play with God's words. You know you prayed the same prayer, okay? Did you not, did you say, oh Lord, help me take one for the team? No, you did not say that, okay? So, all right, so. So there where I was. And, and when you're in that place, you guys kind of maybe remember that time where you were single and you're a Christian and you're trying to figure this thing out. You do this thing called a list. You guys remember making a list and you write down, okay, Lord, here's what I need in a future spouse, okay? And so they, I want them to love Jesus and, and be socially normal and have a socially appropriate laugh just so in public it doesn't get weird, you know? <laughs> That might have made the list. And like little things I put on the list, like maybe comes from a family of all D1 athletes, because honestly, genetics matter. They really do. They really do matter. Okay. Um, and so I might've put all those things there. And, um, and it's funny, man, as you get older, I've been married almost a decade now. As you get older, the value that you have in your spouse, the things that you really cherish and appreciate, they just change. They absolutely change. And so uh, me and my wife, Kristen, have been married almost 10 years, like I said, and um, it's been incredible. We've had some really good days and some really bad days. And it's funny that the thing that I, mad, that I really value and cherish in my wife, Kristen, now is the fact that she stayed. <laughs> um, like... When I met her, we talked a lot about her past and like, she's a really good dancer. She's the only two-time Pink Panther captain of the dance squad up in Norfolk. Okay, Norfolk High. So she just busts like just, okay, she has some freestyle moves. Okay, it's incredible. I thought that was a really big deal. And um, she also told me that she played quarterback on her Pink Panther team, uh, a little flag football team. She has amazing little running strides. So I noticed some athleticism is kind of buried deep in there. Thought that was exciting. 
you know what I care about now that we have three kids and we've planted churches and li- lived on mission and walked through some hard times? The fact that she hasn't left. Like that is God's grace in my life. And some of you husbands need to realize like the wife sitting next to you, just the fact that she's here with you this morning is God's grace to you, okay? Um, and so the thing that I value a lot is the fact that she's remained. She said yes on our wedding day and she's stayed through the craziness of life. And I say all of that, not to say, um, just to give you guys singles, some dating advice and how to pick a spouse. I say all of that because I really think that that's the thrust of the passage um, in front of us today. Um, Jesus is looking at his 11 disciples in John chapter 15, changes on the horizon. He's literally moments away from going to the cross. Um, He's going to depart in the flesh. And what's in front of these 11 men is really um, uh, craziness. One, he's going to tell them next that the the world is going to hate them, that they are going to be persecuted for their love for Jesus Christ. There are going to be real authorities and figures that are going to try to literally crush and stomp out their faith. They're going to have real enemies to avoid. And yet also, they're going to have amazing ministry opportunities. Some of these 11 men are going to be pastors of very large churches very quickly, and there's going to be all kinds of responsibility that comes with loving this thing called the early church. That's what's in front of them. And in the midst of all that is in front of them, Jesus looks his 11 disciples in the eyes and he says one phrase 10 times in our 17 verses, it is abide in me. Jesus's very first command for his disciples is not to go make disciples or go change the world or go plant some churches. His very first call on their life is, listen, would you abide in the relationship that we have with one another? And so if Jesus is gonna champion this idea of abiding in him, let me take a moment to just define that because some of you guys, okay, like what does that actually mean? Um, abiding actually means to remain in. It means to remain in. It means to stand with and stay near to Jesus Christ. It means to experience Jesus in a very real way in our daily lives and to be about pursuing him and living in a way that honors him in an ongoing basis. And so let me, before I jump in, remind you Christians of kind of what we believe theologically. Um, One of the beautiful truths that we believe because we are rooted in the Bible is this idea that we, as we are right now, have this thing called a union with Christ. It's that Jesus Christ lives in us through his spirit and we live in him. It's this beautiful thing. So here's what this looks like. Jesus has promised he would put his Holy Spirit in us. He would come and take residence in our lives and that he would dwell in us and that he would never leave us. That is an amazing gift. Christ is in you right now. And it says that you are hidden in Jesus Christ. And why that is good news for you, it means that when the father looks at you, he doesn't see your fractured life and all of your sin, what he sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers it all. Amen? And so you are his and he is yours and you have union with him forever and nothing can disrupt the relationship that you have with him. Nothing. And yet, Jesus has said in this text, he is pleading with his people, do not just acknowledge the theological union you have with Christ because of what he's done for you experience communion with Jesus Christ, experience fellowship with the person and work of Jesus Christ, enjoy relationship with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't just settle for understanding some theology, experience him in your day-to-day life. That's going to be the thrust of this passage. And here's why this is important for us. I think this is important for us is because let me just confess to you guys right now, I don't do this well in my own nature. In my own nature, it is so easy to drift into a prayerless version of Christianity where I don't commune with God. I don't talk to God. I act like I don't need God. I don't rely on him. 
And Jesus is going to say, no, 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 no. That's not what I've called you to. I've called you to abide. And um, I believe that you are probably prone, just like me, to look at Jesus and say, thank you for what you did on the cross, and then try to move on and be your own God, your own leader, and kind of try to do life apart from him. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Um, I'm not worried about all the spiritual activity you have in your life. The thing that I want from you is to be a person connected to me and living in relationship with me. God with man. That's the call of this passage. So I've got a couple points. I've got two points. If you have your programs, you can pull those out. Um, there's some fill in the blanks and I just want to let you guys right know, uh, know right now that I, I'm not going to give you the answers to fill in the blanks because I changed my outline this week. And so some of you are type A and that's going to be a problem for you. And it's just going to remain a mystery. So you're going to have to deal with it right now. Um, you can find me off stage, a large sum of money. I will give you the answers until then deal with the frustration. Okay. Uh, point one is this abide in Christ, abide in Christ. Okay. He's going to keep it simple for us. So Jesus in John 15 starts with this illustration um, of how uh, that is really going to demonstrate how we are supposed to connect and relate to Jesus. And so he uses this illustration that's really agricultural in its theme. And he talks about this vine and how we are connected to the vine via being a branch. And so let me show you guys how this uh, works. Verse one and two, he says, I am the true vine. Now we're going to come back to that. So circle that phrase because it is pregnant with significance and meaning. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that, um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay. Notice, like I said, um, we got to come back to this statement where it says, I am the true vine. Because whenever you're in the book of John and you see the words, I am, you've got to circle, highlight, and look at that and pause uh, to really appreciate what's happening here. Jesus is not confused about who he is. Jesus understands his person and his divinity well. And Jesus, when he says, I am, he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be the promised one that would come and seek and save the lost. And how do we know this? Because in Exodus chapter three, um, Moses has been called by God to go and deliver the Israelites um, from slavery. And he says, okay, I'll go do all that you have for me. But people are gonna ask me, who sent me? And uh, God responds to Moses in uh, Exodus chapter three, says, I am who I am. And so when Jesus shows up to the scene in the New Testament and he says, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the same God that created you in my image. I am the same God who has given you my word and my law. I am the same God who sustained you. I am the same God that delivered you. I am the same God in the Old Testament that has shown up now to come and seek and save the lost. I am more than your local miracle worker or your religious leader. I am God in the flesh. And Jesus does this repeatedly all throughout the book of John. He makes seven I am statements. Um, He says this, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. Uh, The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And today he says, I am the true vine. And um, I don't want to just miss over, or I don't want to just read over the second part of this I am statement. He says, I am the true vine. And for us, we're like, okay, what does that mean? But for early first century Jews, they would have read that and see that it's, it is pregnant with meaning and significance. Um, for th- over 30 times in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, are referred to as a vineyard. 
God planted the vineyard. He gave him uh, the land. He cultivated. He loved. He watered. He cared deeply for his people and his vineyard. And yet um, in Isaiah 5 and uh, Psalm 80, over and over again, he says, you have not produced the fruit that I have called you to. You have not been faithful. You've rejected my ways and my words. And, uh, and so Jesus is showing up here and he's saying, I am the true vine. I'm not calling you to abide in a nation or a people. I'm calling you to abide in me. The life that you are longing for will be found as you abide and stay connected to me, the one true branch. So here's why this is so significant for us, even 2,000 years ago. Um, I think the temptation, when we look at Jesus and say, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross so I could be uh, receive forgiveness, that I don't have to experience the wrath of God so that I can get into heaven. Thank you, Lord, for being my savior. And then we stop there as if that's the end of the story. But when he says, I am the true vine, what Jesus is saying is I'm not just your savior that gets you out of hell and into heaven. I am the one that sustains your very life. The life that you have in you isn't because you weld it up inside of you. It's because Jesus Christ allowed it to flow from the vine into the branch. And so the love in your heart, the peace in the heart, your joy that is in your heart, it didn't come from you. It came because the personal work of Jesus Christ delivered fruit. Whatever has been in the vine now gets into us his branch. He becomes not just our savior, but the one who sustains us at our very worst. So this is a big deal. Let me show you how it gets played out in our verses, uh, verse four and five. Let's look at it. He says this, abide in me and I in you as the branches, uh, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so this is Jesus, and uh, he's keeping an incredibly uh, helpful teaching here. He's also giving us an incredibly humbling teaching here. He's basically saying, if you look, he's got his 11 disciples, and he is not giving them a spiritual pep talk. This is not the quarterback that's getting all of his, his players in and saying, guys, you can go do it if you just try hard enough. If you play to your strengths, If you get the right life coach, if you unlock your potential, if you stay disciplined, then you'll be awesome. That's not the message of Christianity. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a really humbling statement. And I think it's meant to be. And Jesus is saying, you never outgrow your dependence on the vine. You just don't. You don't graduate to a place of spiritual maturity where you can just well up Christian fruit on your own. You just don't do it. We were designed to stay connected to the vine, just like a branch is designed to stay connected there. And so um, the flip side is also true. The flip side is also true. He says, but if you abide in me, there will be spiritual fruit. You'll experience the fruit of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the promise if you stay connected and abide. Now, the question becomes, what is this spiritual fruit that Jesus produces as we stay connected to him. Because later in verse eight, he says, it's, this, it's, it's the presence of fruit that actually gives way to the fact that we're genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, wherever there is a genuine belief in Jesus, there is the presence and the evidence of that that manifests itself in Jesus Christ-like fruit in your life. If there's no fruit, then you gotta question, is the belief real? And that's, that, that's what in this passage So we got to ask ourselves, what is that? And some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Do I have the fruit that Jesus requires? And you're ready to bust out your spiritual resume and say, I listened to Caleb twice last week, okay? Um, I did it. I did it two times. I turned off pop radio and I really 
dialed it in, you know? And I led a mission trip and I didn't share my faith, but I thought about it. And I think that counts for something, okay? Um, but listen, uh, that is not, that is external fruit. And Jesus is gonna say, dude, chill out. Um, if you guys remember uh, when he talked to the Pharisees who were very active religiously, they obeyed the rules. Um, Jesus said, you've got the outside of the cup clean, but the inside is the problem, right? And so Jesus is not measuring our fruitfulness by how many people we lead to the Lord or how many churches that we plant or how many external factors that we're a part of. It is very easy to be very spiritually busy with really, really good stuff and not have the fruit that Jesus Christ does. And if you remember Judas, uh, example 1A would be Judas on the outside. He looked very busy and very much a part of the person of Jesus Christ. And then on the inside, there was no abiding fruit in him. And so Jesus is not going to define fruit that way. Um, One of the things I think that helps us understand what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about is just the context of this, where this uh, passage is put in the Bible. So in John chapter 14, we see that Jesus uh, tells his disciples, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, the helper that will dwell within you. Then you go to John chapter 15. He says, there's going to be this evidence as you abide in me of fruit. So you got spirit and you got fruit. And then in Galatians 5, you see how these things come together. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. What happens as you connect to the vine is all that is in the life of the vine begins to flow into the life of the branch. Jesus is the fullness of joy. He is the fullness of agape, unconditional love. Jesus is the fullness of peace. He has never not been at peace with the Father, never not been at peace with himself, never not been at peace. He has never been stricken by anxiety. He's never looked at the things in our life that cause us stress and says, oh no, now what? So the life of Jesus Christ gets lived out in us as we abide. And so um, let me just let you guys know, the first person I preach to every single week is not you. I preach to myself. And uh, I do this thing where I actually try to get alone with God and say, Lord, am I actually living this thing out? Because here's the, here's the thing that struck me is I can be just like the Pharisees that were really religiously active. I'm like trying to plant churches and trying to preach and trying to perform weddings and trying to do a lot of really good things out there. And yet I think the passage is saying, are you abiding in Jesus Christ right here? Is there the fruit of his spirit in here? Is the life of Jesus inside of you? And um, I just took inventory and I'm crushing it. And so I hope you are too. And (laughs) honestly, I'm better than you. I really am. And I've got a DVD set in the back. And uh, no, really, I I just took inventory and said, man, I'm not where I want to be. In so many ways, I am not driven by the spirit. I am so often driven by um, insecurity, trying to prove to somebody I'm more than I am. I I can be driven out of, of a spirit of comparison this guy's awesome in areas I'm not. Like, you get around Gavin, and it is a struggle to be content in how the Lord made you. His hair, he knows how to spell words, smells good. It's challenging, okay? Right? But do we not play the comparison game? And do we not security? And do we not try to prove something to someone else? Um, there is all this stuff, anxiety in my life, looking at, looking at all that is in my life and my circumstances and just saying, man, I can't. I can't be that. I, I can't control the world and the world around me. And so it just wells up as anxiety inside of me. And so I'm operating out of that so often. And yet I take a moment. I say, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I once was. Amen. Like I look back at that 18-year-old that was a new, uh, new Christian at Wayne State and said, man, I am a new man. 
He's made me a new creation, and there's more evidence of his spirit in my life than there ever has been. My lips are so much quicker to just declare that it is God who's been at work in my life. It's not me taking credit for anything. It's him, and it's for his glory, and, and he's the one that's done it all. And so, man, there's a posture in my heart that just wasn't there when I was 18 as a new Christian. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for ushering in your spirit and your fruit in my life. And um, I think the text is really, really simple. And so it doesn't make it hard as a pastor. He says 10 times, will you abide in me? Will you remain in me? Will you not just believe in the union you have in Jesus Christ, but will you pursue communion with me day by day, intimacy and connection with Jesus Christ? And the question is, I want to ask you guys, City Light, are you experiencing um, communion with Jesus Christ right now? Are you abiding in him? Like, do you have the life of Jesus welling up in you because you're connected to the true vine? And some of you guys are like, I don't even know what that looks like. Well, here's some things. Have you, have you prayed to Jesus? Have you, have you talked to him or have you drifted into this silent relationship with God? Are your lips quick to come back to him and say, thank you for the good gifts you've placed in my life? Do you praise him? Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. Are you hearing the very voice of Jesus Christ as you abide in him and you pursue his word? Are you looking to obey him in every area of your life? Or are you just acknowledging that he exists and then trying to do it your own way? Are you abiding in him and the life that he's called you to? If you are, awesome, because in verse 11, he says, I'm, I'm calling you to abide in me, not just so you can play re- weird religious games or kind of hang out and do relationship stuff with me. I'm doing it so that what? I could give you the fullness of joy. Christians, how many of you guys know that the joy of Jesus Christ surpasses everything else on this side of eternity? When you live in right relationship with him, you might not be happy, but you will be joyful. Jesus never promised your circumstantial happiness, but if you abide in him, you can go through some stuff and have an unshakable buoyancy to your soul that the world can't figure out. Thank you for the three people that are uh, spirit-filled today that are giving me a couple amens. Appreciate you. You are a gift. I'm I'm praying for the rest of them to just to, we're going to catch some stuff. Now, um, okay, so uh, I want to give one last observation before I uh, transition. This may be the world's longest point ever. Um, But... One last observation about this text that I, I want to press in because I believe there's this kind of dangerous theology out there that says if you abide in Christ and you pray and if you read your Bible and you go to the right church and you hang out with the right people and you obey the right rules, then you won't go through the drama and trials and pain that other people do. And it, it, it kind of seduces us into thinking that Christianity is always about clapping. It's always happy. It's always positive, encouraging. And it is, that is not a biblical worldview. That is not in your text. But instead, how many of you guys know if you want to be about the life of Jesus Christ in you, his means of ushering in fruitfulness in our lives oftentimes require pain. And so you might like, oh, Lord, I'm so excited. I want more of your life and more of your peace and more of your joy. Bring the songs up. I want it, Lord. And Jesus is like, are you sure? Because he disciplines those he loves. And he oftentimes takes us to a place of pain to teach us something and produce in something that otherwise could not be produced in comfort. Okay, let me show you guys this in our text. It says this in verse two, every branch that does bear fruit, okay, that's a, that's a fruitful Christian. <laughs> Look at the father's commitment to him. He prunes that he may bear more fruit. Okay. <laughs> How many of you guys heard the word pruning and said, yes and amen, Lord? Yes and amen. I claim the promises of God in this place today. 
How many of you guys would, if you could stay as you are and go to Cabo for a month, all expenses paid, or you could go through a season of increased pruning by the hand of the Father, what you going to take? <laughs> oh, Lord, I want the pruning season. No, you don't. You're going to be at Cabo. You're going to be <laughs> on the beach is where you're going to be. Okay? Right? Nobody wants. This is literally the worst marketing strategy by Jesus ever. Sign up and be a fruitful Christian and expect the pruning hand of God in your life. Oh, wow, that sounds rather painful because it is. And the only encouragement we get out of this is that we have a loving father who looks at our lives. He is willing to cut back all that is unfruitful, and he will cut it away so that there can be new uh, uh, fruit in our lives that otherwise would not be there without his pruning hand upon our lives. So it is not pleasant when he prunes, but it is always purposeful. I mention this because um, I've learned to trust the pruning hand of the Father in my life. Um, I talked to you guys about my wife, Kristen. I love my wife. And uh, uh, I do need to confess to you guys, though, the first couple years of our marriage were what we call a trial, okay? So we did the um, premarital counseling. I don't think that really worked. So we had to start the postmarital counseling. Um, I blame most of my problems on the dysfunctional pastor that got me into this thing. Um, but so there we are. I'll never forget the day. Uh, when we are driving home from Bible study, because that's where you're the most spirit-filled, right? And we are driving home and we're in a legitimate mm, heated conversation is maybe the best way to say it. She says, hey, pull over this car. I'm thinking maybe she got sick. She ate something, needs to throw up. No, she decided she would rather walk home um, than be in the car with me for another three minutes, okay? And um, the amazing part of this is I was just getting done writing my book called How to Be an Amazing Husband Like Me. And... Um, <laughs> As I watched my wife literally about jump out of a moving vehicle, I thought this is probably not a good time to release the book. Probably not a good time. And so we had to work through some things in those early years. And as I look back now, though, I can see that there was no other way for God to get my attention and teach me some things. You guys know that moment. If you've been married, what do you do? Your first prayer is, Lord, you better get your daughter. You better get her, okay? She needs to be sanctified. I know there's some areas in her life. You need to bring about some restoration in some things. And Lord, if you could do it sooner than later, that would be appreciated. I'll give praise to you, King Jesus, for doing a work in her. You know? And you justify, man, I'm really not that bad. Like you say all this, could I be that sinful? It's gotta be her, right? Like that's where you're at. And you're making deals with God. Like I'll tell everybody how awesome you are if you do a work, okay? And so... Um, and then what does God do? He brings the mirror to you and says, man, th- I've got to work in your life and I've got to get your attention. And you know how humbling it is when you said I do to somebody because you love them. And then on the backside of your marriage, you literally are not even doing a good job loving the person that you love the most. Like you're, you're hurting them because you're selfish and you're sinful and you're dragging them along because you're some insecure driven 25 year old. Like that, that is a significant issue. And it brought me to the place of my knees where I said, God, I can't even figure out how to be a husband and love my own wife. Jesus, I need you. And that's the only place, uh, that's sometimes the only way he gets our attention is taking us through these seasons, right? Um, James chapter one says, rejoice in trials uh, of many kinds because they will produce um, perseverance and character in your life. The way that you will become more like Jesus Christ in this life isn't just gonna be by success and promotion and comfort. 
He'll often take you through a place of pain so he can get your attention and shape you in a unique way so that in this verse it says you can bear more fruit. Amen? So um, some of you guys are here today and you're in that place and you're wondering, God, why did you leave me here? This is messy. I've got drama. I got rebellious kids. I got financial issues. I got stuff in crisis. I got drama all around me. Why would you leave me here? And the only thing I can say is God has not forsaken you or left you. He is near to you, but he may be pruning you and it is purposeful. God is near and he's promised not to waste the pain points. And for those of you guys walk with Jesus for a while, I think we can all testify to the fact that oftentimes we look back and it, it all becomes very clear of what he was doing. But in the present, you just can't see it. But abide in Jesus Christ and he'll carry you through. Okay, point two, I wanna show you guys this, is that Jesus has made it very clear, abide in me. That's the call of us as disciples. First rhythm in our life isn't to go change the world, but to stay connected to the vine. The second thing he's gonna talk to us about is as we stay connected to the vine, we're going to experience his very real and very radical love for us. And then out of that place, he's going to call us to begin to love and serve other people in a way that demonstrates uh, the gospel to one another. So um, right now it's, the fall, and it's a little bit hot outside for the fall, but it is the fall. And uh, one of the things I love about the fall is that uh, football's on, like four or five days out of the week. And so um, I love to get the kids to bed. I love to turn a football game on, and I love to put up my feet and just watch uh, a game. And so um, if you're like me and you're a sports fan, it's a beautiful time of the year. But I also understand that we are about four to six weeks away from the Hallmark Channel and um, the Lifetime Channel releasing all of their Christmas or holiday special movies. And my wife loves them, loves them, loves them. And so um, the problem here is if in six weeks you say, Chris, did you see the game last night? You know what I'm gonna say? No, I did not. But I watched Coming Home for Christmas for the seventh consecutive night in a row. And it was life-changing. And Okay. Now, Here's the problem I have with these Hallmark Christmas stories is the plot is the same every time, y'all. Let me save you 47 hours of a wasted life, okay? Let me just tell you what's gonna happen. There's gonna be a beautiful young woman and she is going to be successful in a big city job in corporate America. But she's gonna move to a quaint little small town where there are parks and there are barns and she is going to stumble upon a coffee shop that is for sale. And the sweet old couple decides to give it to this young, charming little lady for a steal of a deal. And she becomes the sweetheart of the town because her pastries are fantastic. Business booms, relationships happen, life is going well, but there's a problem. Oh, she has no one to walk in the snow with. Where will she meet her Miss Prince Charming? Where will he come? The loneliness, oh, the loneliness. This poor, sweet young woman in a sea of married people can't meet anyone. Well, oh, wait, the prince comes and he is dressed in flannel. Rocks a nice man scarf. Yes, he does. Drives a truck. Has a dog named Max. Beautiful lab. Big smile, nice hair. Looks like Gavin. Um, 
His construction business is booming. Her coffee shop is blossoming. Oh, that they would fall in love. And they take a walk through the park as the snow begins to fall in their faces. (laughs) The, The singing of angels begins to erupt in the park. And they live happily ever after. Amen? All right. And we all go, ah! Oh, oh, I'm sorry I wasted four minutes of your life. That was really more about me venting than it had anything to do with this text. I just need you to have that moment with me, okay? Oh, my gosh. We love you. We love, we love the ladies. Uh, anyways, okay, so... Um, okay, so... One of the things I have a problem with that narrative is the narrative underneath that storyline is very simple. It says, if you look hard enough and you wait long enough, you'll find somebody that will satisfy your soulful desire to be loved and accepted. And that is an impossible burden to put on somebody else on this side of eternity. You are created for love, but the love that you are created for is in our person and work of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, we find a God that doesn't love us at our very best, but we find a God that loved us at our very worst. Amen? He loved us when we were a hot mess. He loved us when we were sinful and broken. And we see in the personal work of Jesus Christ, he says there is no greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. This is not a JV narrative. The narrative that has captured our heart is one of a prince that has come from heaven to earth to rescue sinful, broken people and ransom them back into relationship with himself. It's a beautiful story, amen? And so... I look at this uh, text, and I want to show you guys how this gets played out here. Here's how he reminds us of how God has loved us. He says, as the Father, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 12 through 15, jump down. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what, what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 17, these things I command you uh, so that you will love one another. And so there are some massive gospel bombs in this passage. Primarily, Jesus is trying to look at his disciples and let them know, listen, do not forget about my love for you. And Christians, we've got to remember this. We are on the receiving end of a God that loves us deeply and has given his very best so that we can experience him and abide in him. And I love this because he is reminding the disciples who he's loved deeply. Yes, I've loved you. I've fed you. I've protected you. I've spoken to you. I've listened to you. I've prayed for you. But do you know that the greatest act and demonstrations of God's love for his people isn't behind him, but it's right in front of him. He's saying, I'm getting ready to lay down my life and embrace a Roman cross so that you could have eternal life and be reconciled back to the Father. And I love that Jesus is not just trying to state this fact and do this thing so that we can be talking about this God that has set an example for us. What does it look like to be sacrificial and selfless? Well, look at the cross. Yes, that's true, but this is way more than morality, my friends. Jesus did this so a sinful people and a holy God could be reconciled to one another. This whole conversation we're having about abiding in Jesus Christ is not possible without Jesus. Do you know that? There's no way that you, even at your very best, could come into the presence of God. He is holy, and he's not tolerating your sin, but the very wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus so that you can abide in him. That's why he went to the cross and laid down his life. He laid down his life so that people who were once enemies of God could be ushered in as friends of Jesus 
Christ so that you and I could be forgiven and we don't have to experience the weight of our guilt and our shame anymore. Amen? Amazing good news. And so um, when you experience this kind of love, it's going to change you and soften you and transform you. And I love in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says it like this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Pause. If you've ever questioned the nature of our God, his primary essence is one of love. He moved from heaven to earth to demonstrate on the cross his great love for you. He says then in response to this, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so um, in Nebraska, we have this slogan called Nebraska Nice. Have you seen it? Nebraska Nice. I don't even know what that means. I think that means try not to cut people off in traffic, okay? And like wave and don't turn the hand, you know, it's nice, okay? We're supposed to be nice people in Nebraska. But that just seems like a call to general moralism. But what the gospel says is because we've experienced Jesus Christ, his love for us, then we start to change and transform and show that love to the watching world. And so why do you pick up the phone when your friend calls you with all of their drama and you listen and you care and you enter in and you mourn with because you've been loved? And why do you help your friend move up three flights of stairs when they've got like a seven piece sectional that weighs 7,000 pounds? Why do you do that? Because has Jesus Christ not served you? Lay down your life. This is what it looks like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and to abide in him. Amen? Okay, so let me close with this, guys. Let me close with this. In verse 9, he says this. He says, um, I have loved you just like the Father has loved me. And um, I want to let you guys know some really good news. If you don't abide well this week, if you don't pursue Jesus Christ, if you don't lay down your life for the good of other people and the glory of God, do you know that Jesus Christ's opinion of you will not change? He loves you deeply. And his love for you is not predicated on your performance for him this week. Can, can we just experience the good news that that is? So if you blow it in your marriage this week, his love for you is secure because it's not tied to you being an awesome husband or an awesome wife. It's tied to the fact that Jesus laid down his life for you. That's good news. You can rest in that this week. And then in verse nine, guess what he says? Abide in my love. So what he's saying is you've got all of the father's love and affection for you right now. And yet don't drift from it. Be a person who continues to experience it in ongoing ways. We've been called to abide. One of the ways I thought about this is imagine, I told you guys my, one of my favorite things about my wife is she just stayed. She never left. And every day I get away and I'm up next to her and it's an absolute gift. But imagine if it wasn't so. Imagine if we got married and we walked down the aisle and we said, I do, and everybody clapped. And then she went back to Norfolk to live in her parents' basement. And I went home to Omaha to live in our apartment alone. And imagine we didn't pick up the phone. And imagine if we didn't text and imagine if we didn't um, do life together. And imagine if we didn't take walks together and we didn't tell stories to each other. And we didn't share our lives with one another. Technically, on paper, we would still be married. Ten years later, she would still be my wife and I would still be her husband. I'm not going to divorce her because she doesn't talk to me. I'm going to fulfill that vow. And so technically, legally, we would be one. And yet we wouldn't be experiencing the full oneness and intimacy that Christ has created in that covenant to be present. Amen? And so I think you see where I'm going. You have it all in Christ. And yet don't leave intimacy, oneness, joy on the table. Would we be a people who abide and experience his life in us? So let me pray right now.
Jesus, um, would you help us? You are such a good God that we even get to have this conversation of life with you because your son laid down his life so we could experience union with you. We've been forgiven and adopted and redeemed. We've been called into the family and brought into right relationship with you all by your grace and your mercies. And so we give you the glory and we say, God, would you help us to hang on and to abide in you. Our hearts are so quick to get distracted, Lord, and a million other things that are competing for our affections and our times. Oh God, they all call for our time. They all call for our energy. They all call for um, us to abide in them in some way. And God, we want to be people who our faces are turned towards you and you have our attention and we are holding on to the very God that's redeemed us. And so Lord, we say thank you. Help us empower us by your Holy Spirit to abide well. Help us to lay down our lives for one another. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.